Hello there, how are you? Welcome along to the Sport and Life podcast, recording this on Tuesday, the 2nd of February. I hope you're well. I hope lockdown 3.0 in the UK isn't grinding too much. I mean, let's face it, probably is, isn't it? Even myself, whose life, I think, by my own admission, thankfully, due to still going to work at Sky Sports as a broadcaster and having a pretty dull life anyway, because I work a lot of weekends have family, but they're in Newcastle and elsewhere, quite strewn out across the country. I don't get to see them all the time, but I have to say that the grind is uh, is getting to me, the lack of liberty and the sort of anxiety over not only people's health that, who are at risk to the pandemic, at risk to coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, but also um, the anxiety over the high street, things like that. When you look at it and the, the to-let signs going up around Cheltenham at the moment is ominous, but I hope you're well. I hope this is... Uh, Positive podcast for you. I really enjoyed catching up with an old friend of mine, Alex Payne, longtime sports broadcaster at Sky Sports. Now has his own podcast and his own tech business, which is really cool. We'll get to that in a second. But thank you to the sponsors of the podcast, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Jason Briggs and his team, their HQ, their headquarters in the courtyard in Montpellier in the heart of Cheltenham, lovely picturesque French sort of uh, region, as the name Montpellier would suggest. Um, but they're they're not currently uh, occupying or working out there, at least. They're doing remote stuff, I'm not sure, but they're very much active, still swinging, still throwing punches, Jason and his team. So get in touch with B&O Cheltenham on Twitter, B&O Cheltenham on Instagram, all the latest Bang Olufsen equipment, but through Serene AV, also can source other brands, whatever it is for your bespoke home entertainment solution, audio uh, solution, televisual solution, big screen, whatever you're looking for. Uh, so get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team numbers on their website, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham. And if you're looking to optimize your immunity at the moment, I think hopefully one of the positives to come from this challenging 12 months will be an outlook on our health and the sense that we have to prepare ourselves and ready ourselves for the worst, something like COVID-19 or dare I say, even more threatening to, to to more people, which is feasible, isn't it? We kind of got a, a warning shot. Lots of us who are perhaps young enough to, to stave off COVID-19, healthy enough, but wary that if something else comes more severely, that we do have to be optimizing our immunity, getting the rest, getting the exercise, getting moderate exercise, by the way, nothing too extreme, not running marathons, but just looking at it holistically, our diet, and that may include supplementation. Uh, we believe it is a family that we do need to supplement because of the soil erosion depletion in this country and also just things that you don't necessarily pick up in a diet as our calorie intake goes down because we're increasingly sedentary as a species in the west us humans anyway so we take supplements from a company called cytoplan c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n specifically for immunity immune complete range one if you're a menstruating woman a younger woman one if uh, two if you're an adult man or post-menstrual woman so that's, uh, but you can look into all the supplements there, cytoplan.co.uk. And if you'd like a discount, my code is Draper10R, D R A P E R, all capital letters, the number one zero, um, the numbers one zero, and then the capital letter R. It's 30% off the initial purchase and thereafter 10% off. Right, here we go. Uh, former colleague of mine, he was ahead of me at Sky Sports News, he was a presenter. Really, he's only a couple of years, a year, 18 months or so older than me, but he was from the age of 25, a broadcaster on Sky Sports News when Sky Sports News was free to air across many homes across the, the country and, you know, wasn't behind a, a subscription wall as it is now where I work. But uh, And then he went to rugby, Alex Payne, long-time rugby presenter, over a decade at Sky Sports, the 
was left incredibly for over two years, which is amazing how time flies, particularly in the warped world of a pandemic. You lose track of, of the days and months. But he's a fine guy. He's got a really good podcast now called The Good, The Bad and The Rugby. Great name. My wife loves it. Uh, with James Haskell, former England player and former England player, Mike Tyndall, rugby players. But it's kind of more than that. It's about rapport, camaraderie, exploring life's issues, maybe with a reference point of those guys shared interest in rugby. But it's good. And he's got a tech business as well. So the networking business that connects brands with uh, people of influence, he calls them. And that's called The Room. But here he is, the one and only Alex Payne. Really appreciate his time and great to catch up with him. Alex Payne, good to see you, or, or just seeing you, but this is uh, obviously audio only, my shabby little podcast. Welcome welcome to it, and, and thank you for your time in the middle of Armageddon, as you call it, homeschooling Armageddon. <laughs> How are you, mate? Well, I'm still alive, Ed, which I think is probably half the battle at the moment. Um, yeah, we're not too bad, actually. I mean, I was actually out for a, a walk yesterday and, and speaking to a mate on the phone and just saying, Actually, all things considered, I'm I'm very very lucky. I'm happy. I'm healthy. My my wife is on on great form at the moment. My kids are still speaking to us, which I think is <laughs> two thirds of the game right now. Um, I definitely don't profess to be an expert in homeschooling, but um, mm. we're all still together under one roof, and I think that's probably part of the course right now. So we're we're pretty good, and it's very nice to catch up with you. And you know, I hope you're doing likewise. Yeah, yeah, we are. We, we've got one little girl who's six. I know yours are nine and 11, so it's a bit different. So we're doing the sort of foundational stuff. And my wife is, is very patient at spearheading that. I've been on quite a lot of late shifts and, and the plan has been to get it done in the morning. So she tends to do that. And then I tend to be in charge of PE or, or just <laughs> dragging my little girl around the local park in the, in the rain and, and wind at the moment. But it's, um, it's, it's been all right, actually. My, my, my little girl likes being at home, which is a good and a bad thing, because then we're going to go through, I think, yeah. the... Uh, the reintroduction process but I think she has started to say that she's a bit bored so I think that's probably a positive in a way that when we can let her go back to school that's uh, that's going to happen and but yeah it's it's very just uh, it's just surreal times and it's the pandemic's twisted my sense yeah my, my the pandemic's twisted my sense of time even more but I realized as I think becoming a father and then getting into your mid to late 30s suddenly things just rush by and it's actually I was uh, provoked by seeing one of uh, a great excerpt of your podcast, The Good, The Bad and The Rugby recently to thinking, oh, yeah, I remember exchanging messages with with Al recently about when he was um, doing a cameo back at Sky Sports News, where, where I, of course, work. And then I looked at my phone and it was it was 2018 or it was like middle of 2018. And then we had a message again and realized that you'd left Sky two and a half years ago or something like that, which was just phenomenal to me. And it showed the blur at which which life can move sometimes. But does that seem like a, sh a short time for you or a long time since you left? What's your sort of sense of um, it? Yeah, I mean, I, without wanting to go all Ferris Bueller, life, life moves pretty fast. Um, mm. and, and Good film. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does and it doesn't. And, and, and I, I think everyone would say the same. It feels like yesterday and it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, I, I sort of... You know, I, I left on very good terms and, and it wasn't, a, I don't think it was a personality thing. Um, you know, essentially Sky just ran out of rugby and, and that was my specialist subject. Mm. Um, and when there wasn't a lot of rugby to do, you know, I, I didn't, I was never going to be qualified to do football. Cricket is the best in the business and there's not something I necessarily would have been very good at. Um, and there were, just weren't a huge number of opportunities, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and we had some very good conversations. Um, I will be honest and say I was, I was probably a bit surprised that it ended the way it did. Mm. Um, but, and, and it probably led to 
some some really interesting soul searching really i mean I, without wanting to get too into the deep stuff i mean i was very lucky <laughs> i was i was on a very you know a very nice trajectory and i'd gone from t-boy mm. to reporter to presenter on sky sports news to you know presenting lions tours and england all blacks and you know the latter was what i'd always wanted to do i was i was mm. a real rugby obsessive um, and you know, I was I was very very keen to to give that a proper crack. So in many ways, I was very lucky. I completely fulfilled the dream of watching the Lions win on Australia and the Lions draw in in New Zealand and England beat the All Blacks and some incredible European Cup finals, etc. Mm. Um, but I will also be honest and say that the the job that everyone sees and the fun bit, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes around that which which isn't necessarily quite as entertaining. And yeah. The question I get asked now following up is, would I go back? And the answer is probably no. Um, and again, you know, I'm happy to sort of explore that. But but for every mm. sort of European Cup final or Lions deciding test, there were a lot of trips to Galway in the rain and Belfast <laughs> in the snow and Glasgow in the sleet. N nights um, and, nights and, and weekends. We work nights and weekends, don't we? That's the, the we uh, do. big part of it, yeah. We do. And, and you, you, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted, you know, you do it because you love it. But actually mm. there came a point for me where I really wasn't loving it anymore. Um, and my kids, you know, you mentioned they're 11 and nine now. So two years ago, they've been nine and seven and they were getting home from school and on a Friday at 4.30 and absolutely pumped for the weekend. And at five o'clock, I was getting in a taxi to Heathrow to fly yeah. to the extremities of, you know, the British and Irish boundaries and I was covering games that if we're honest in the you know what was the pro 14 and is about to become the pro 16 or pro 20 I mean to be honest with you, it's a <laughs> it's a tough sell even yeah. for those who play in it um yeah. you know the players aren't that interested the crowds are half empty it's a five minute on-air build-up where you can't really do anything of any interest it's a five minute half time where we know everybody goes to make a cup of tea and it's a crash off air with yeah. a 30 second goodbye because you're off to the live football which of course makes sense but I just found myself thinking, and I, I didn't realise it at the time, it was my wife who actually said when it all came to an end, she mm. said, I think you'll find that this is, this is the right time for you to go and do something else. And it certainly didn't feel like it, and I definitely wasn't prepared for it. Well, I say I wasn't prepared for it. I tried bloody hard to be prepared for it. I built a little mm. tech business, but um, it definitely was a bump, but I'm so grateful to having gone, having gone through that. And learned far more about myself and I sort of definitely would consider myself a much more fulfilled character off the back of it. Yeah, the, the good, the bad, the rugby clip that I saw from you, and I, I recommend people checking out checking out the fine podcast on YouTube. And I presume it's on <laughs> iTunes for audio as well, is it, Alex, and, and Spotify? And those things? Yeah, that, it is. Yeah, yeah, we do. Platform? I think we do. We, yeah, we do it across the, the works. I think there are people far more intelligent than me who <laughs> I think put it in the right places. So it's Audible, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. I think, yeah. I think if you're looking for it, you'll find it. Yeah, I thought you. I thought you were producing and editing it as well as presenting it. So I'm uh, not disappointed yeah. to find out, but I thought I was very impressed with that. In addition to having a regular job, but if you, before we talk about the identity thing, which resonated with me, I suppose, particularly with with sports people and, and their sense of identity when their career comes to an end early on, like yours has in, in terms of your your life sort of length. What, do, what what have you found positive about the change? Is it the structure? Is it routine? Is it things like that that I found a little bit in the early days of lockdown? Actually, when our shifts were really closed down at Sky Sports News because there was no sport. We were doing sort of one or two a week versus four, you know, usually late or, or early. So I found suddenly, oh, I could do things at a certain time of day and, and got into a little bit of a pattern. Strangely, when other people were finding they had no routine, I was finding a little bit more routine. Well, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, my, 
I'm probably the other way around, funnily enough, which is that I started on sports news in Christ. And this, I, I can't actually believe I'm saying this, but I think I started in September, October 2005. Wow. How young? Um, you must have been so young then as well. So I was, I was 25. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I looked about 14. You, you know, <laughs> as well as I do, that sort of back in those days, it was it was quite it was quite a tough place to learn your trade yeah. there were some pretty big characters there i'm thinking of people like matt lorenzo mm. dave clark um you know david jones who's now a really good mate and I, I i message him and we we keep very much in touch but it was pretty territorial back then and i remember you know matt lorenzo came from the old school tv and i was mm. 25 looked 14 i mean he used to do things like in an ad break i'd nip out and go to the loo and he turned down the audio on my pot. Oh, so yeah. So when I came back in and I plugged in, you know, I wouldn't hear anything. And we'd come back on air and I'd be picking my nose because I wasn't, <laughs> I hadn't heard the counter. Wow. And he'd read his line and then there'd be silence while I was sort of farting about, you know, bunning my pen. And he'd be like, do, you know, do you want to join us? And I'd, yeah. I mean, you know, so, it was. It was, was that, was that supposed tough. to be good, good natured or was he trying to kind of. Um, I, I, I think. I think it was one of those very clever things where you could quite easily wear a smile and say, no, it's just good natured. But I think everybody knows exactly what's going on. Because um, it is an ego, I, I, it's an ego I, business, isn't it? It's competitive, I think. In, in well, I, I think he's probably a very good broadcaster. He'd done a hell of a lot of, you know, morning television and yeah. some big games. And I don't think he was as fulfilled on Sky Sports News as he had been. So I, I honestly, I'd... I, uh, would I say hello now? I'd, I'd probably give him a nice hi. How are you getting on? But um, <laughs> you know, they, they were they were great days, and there were some huge characters on the channel at that point. Um, I can't even remember what I, what point I was trying to make, really. But you talking about I, when, I when you were, when you started? I was talking about routine. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was all um, you know, I, and I was very much on on uh, night shifts. So I worked with the legend that was the great David Bobin, who was yeah the mighty oak of Sky Sports News. He was known as Beaujolais. And, and we had some very, very good evenings together talking about, you know, traffic routes and um, wines. And, Did he bring wine I mean, in? I, I heard I that just, he brought wine in sometimes from France. Oh, there was always a little carafe under the desk, I think. Um, you know, he was, he was a proper gent and so generous. And, um, you know, we had some great days. But I, what I found was having, you know, started fairly young. I mean, a, a lot of my mates were, you know, I suppose trying to get into quite grown-up jobs. A lot of them were working very hard in mm. what we call the regular hours of Monday to Friday, and I'd be chipping out of the bunker, you know, on the practice range at Richmond Golf Club Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, Friday, and I, I did that for six or seven months, and my golf didn't get any better. And actually, I got to the point where I just thought, I, you know, I've really got to find something a bit more worthwhile to do with my spare time. And so I, I'd always had a, quite an interest in business. I, I've had probably 10 companies and 10 ideas and 10 wow. things I've tried. Um, and that ranges from a digital publishing company and a surf magazine. And a, I've had a- so, You're a surfer, um, are you? I didn't realize. I'm a, I'm a seriously average, but hugely enthusiastic West surfer. West London based surfer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a West London based surfer, but wherever there's a wave, I'll find a board. Um, mm. And I, I absolutely love it. I mean, I'm, I'm a village, but you know, I'm up and about. I've actually <laughs> surfed some quite quite cool places but um i'm, I'm normally the, you know so would your dream to be around. would your dream be to live in cornwall or somewhere like that do you feel potentially um i'd much rather go somewhere like the mentway islands or um <laughs> you know yeah. I, I, the, the, there are places i'd rather hawaii, go than cornwall, hawaii. But I am yeah. very, <laughs> hawaii would be right up there um you know I, I've, I've been very lucky certainly in australia and brazil south africa 
um, uh, New Zealand actually, where it was fairly chunky. But I, yeah, I'd, I'd love, I'd love to live by the sea, and I'd, I've been down to Cornwall pretty much every year of my life, um, and, and sort of happily pop in and out at Polesert and places like that, Newquay. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah. So I, I digress. The point was, I was always really interested in business. I knew that you know I didn't just want to be a fairly average sports broadcaster, um, and I think you know I definitely don't have many sort of insights or foresights in the industry but I did I think pick quite early that it was changing very quickly and also probably that my career was never going to be in my hands and yeah I found that quite nerve-wracking I don't know whether you whether you empathize with yeah that, but absolutely, I, I didn't yeah. want to always be at the behest of someone's decision as to whether you are the right person for the job or not and mm. you know that that can change person by person I don't I don't know whether that resonates with you yeah I think that that's very true actually I think um there was a particular boss that we all had sort of uh, brushes with and obviously you got an opportunity very young I didn't get onto sports news until I was 31 32 I think so it was a little bit later and I bounced around sky in different departments and enjoyed my time with with rugby working pitch side but yeah what's and it's interesting when people ask you and they, they'll message you and I think in the modern world you get a lot of messages on different platforms saying how do you do this and what can I do and who can I speak to and I say well it's very I can give you the, the template and all you can do really is it's is like the sports model you can have the repetition you can learn your skills you can learn how to read an auto cue you can learn how to you know sports knowledge you can you can base you can develop your statistics you can speak you can record yourself and you can go back over that you can do match reports football updates score updates you can practice all that stuff at home on a phone now but ultimately traditional media and it's strange because when we were kids sky sports was very much a new explosive a glamorous addition to the, the rather staid media the legacy media before it bbc and itv but yeah. i feel like that's Sky is almost a, a sort of antiquated concept now in a sense that, that actually with new media, it's very different. And one of the things that appeals to me about doing a podcast, which I think you're alluding to and there is it's not really got a gate. You've got a team behind you, but this podcast for me, and I'd actually host a boxing podcast at Sky for three years and enjoyed the, the relative liberty of that, that it's not a gatekeeper driven thing. And I think like you're, what you're saying there is it, if a different person changes or you trying to pick, apply to a different job, suddenly the criteria changes. And, and that's what's interesting about things like the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment, which I wholeheartedly agree with the sense that we need to get to a place of fairness and equality. But certainly in our role, it's always been very subjective and, and non-sort of objective. I think that may be changing in terms of there's, there's panels for recruitment now, which actually include broadcasters themselves, not just uh, so-called suits or bosses. But I think, yeah, you're right. It was a very fickle industry. And I think you did feel for there was no... You could have a maybe an objective metric of, of your skill set and what you could do and maybe people who write maybe there's more of a i guess a, a solid sort of visible tactile foundation to it you can show someone a piece you've written but it, yeah in broadcasting I, but yeah you're right that you are at the sort of behest of, of someone's fancy not to put it too simply if you know what i mean yeah i mean i, th I think you're, i think you're absolutely right <clears throat> i think for me the two things that have changed enormously even since I've been in it, is well. The, the first is is the dialogue. So when when I came through being trained at Sky, in fact, I say being trained, I was literally chucked on air and told to get on with it, and mm. um, there was there wasn't a lot of training about it. But <laughs> I, I remember very clearly, <clears throat> excuse me, being told, you know, presenters almost should be heard and not seen, and there's no opinion. 
Mm. And, and this was absolutely the right way to do it because, yes. you know, Sky in 2005, six, seven, you know, we, we spoke to the audience. It was not a lecture, but you tuned in to hear esteemed panelists offering their opinion and they were well-researched. They were, you know, they were held in high regard. And it was a dark, it was a, um, you know, it was a, a sort of transmission as it were. The yeah. audience listened and Sky told you what it was. And what has happened obviously with the explosion of social media is that that transmission has become much more of a conversation mm. and people now feed into it. Everybody's got their own platform. Everybody can offer their own view. And I, I think, and I don't say this in a critical way, but I think as an observation, you know, Sky's style has probably, they've not moved fast enough with that. I think there are various shows that hold up and will always be able to, to continue along that vein. Monday Night Football is the best mm. in the business. Sky Cricket is equally as, um, as powerful in the message that they put across. But the audience now wants to contribute. It wants to have its say. It wants to react. And we know and we can see time and time again yeah. you know, that people are, they are challenged on their views, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, I can say this, it's probably harder for you to do that. But I think BT Sport was much fresher in the way that it, it approached that. I remember when we all, in the, particularly in the rugby department, watched BT wander in and they were all open neck collars and <laughs> you know I mean Craig Doyle is an incredibly handsome man yeah yeah well. I know so, it's, it's, it's a risky game that once you yeah. take the, the leash off a little bit I think because certain people absolutely very well but, with it but, but we yeah were all, we were all spluttering into our coffees <laughs> going how you know how can they do this they're not respecting the audience yeah. and actually within three months we were like my god this is so much fresher than what we're doing and you know we were then playing catch-up um mm. So I think that's I think that's really interesting, um, and I think I think that just continues. And you look at the, you know these fanzines, and you look at arguably the success of, of the good, the bad, and the rugby. You know we are our our figures are we get about two hundred thousand listeners a week across pod and that's fantastic. YouTube. Well, yeah, well done, mate. That's I mean, great. But well, no, I don't, I, but the reason I say that is <laughs> no, that, no, you're not bragging. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely <laughs> we're, we're in absolute shambles. But <laughs> but I think it's interesting that those numbers are are there for us because mm. of the way that we do things. And it is, you know, I know this sounds ridiculous. I think the three of us would probably just have a zoom and a beer, regardless of whether we were recording and putting it out or not. I mean, we you know we, we've we've got something that we really enjoy doing. That's what um, it feels. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, but because we enjoy doing it, the audience very much comes in with us. And that, 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 that's, um, a di that's, thing... a, that's a difficult thing for Sky, and you mentioned even BT. I think to try and replicate when you're not, you're not, and you're not BBC One or ITV, but you are more of an orthodox broadcaster, and you're regulated by things like Ofcom, and people potentially will will target you if you say anything remotely scandalous. Or so I think there's a there's a difficult thing. Yeah. So I think the difficult thing for Sky is when we we can almost lose our identity if we then try and replicate say a youtube channel i don't know if you agree with that that there is a sense of if you go down that road then why not watch a youtube channel if you see what i mean because your youtube channel yeah. can be if it's one guy in his bedroom or, or a couple of guys on zoom it can be a different a different animal in terms of um of what you can say and, and just the vibe of it yeah and i i think it is very very difficult for sky now i mean i think i think the nature of what we watch and how we watch has changed 
so dramatically. I mean, when, for example, I started, I mean, I did work experience at Sky in 2001. Mm. There was one game of rugby on a Saturday afternoon, and that was it. <laughs> and you tuned in to watch Bath Quinns, or you tuned in to watch Leicester against Northampton, or whatever it was. And that was your Saturday offering. Yeah. You know, fast forward to even 2006, seven, you could pretty much watch rugby from 4.30 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. And so what has happened as an audience is that it's gone from being, this is the game I've got to watch because there isn't anything else to choose from to the product is always there. Therefore, which bits do I actually care about? Well, there's mm. so much of it. It comes so thick and fast. I find it quite hard now to, to pick the bits that I really care about yeah. and you know I, I think that is I think that's a challenge for all sports I, I bang on about it and, and have done for ages but I genuinely think you know less is more particularly outside football football will always hold up because it is you know the global yeah. game but Although, Premier League every night probably has hampered other sports I'd, I'd imagine during the pandemic because that you know we had a Premier League game pretty much live yeah. it seems like every night which I wonder about the EFL the football below that but also other sports potentially would be impacted yeah. because people may like to watch a rugby league game or, or, or darts or boxing but there's always a game to watch at the moment yeah well it's it's and it is the fire blanket you know it suffocates everything outside of it um mm. and that's where you know i mean where sky are so so good and i i got quite interested in the sort of the business and the the sort of i suppose the rights tactics certainly in my last sort of four or five years there i, I was always having some quite interesting conversations with you know the, the people who, who do the deals and yeah it was very, it was fascinating to see how Sky evolved from a company that had everything mm. through to a company that knew what it needed to have in order to have an individual subscriber. So mm. what they stopped, you know, when we were coming through the ranks there, you know, we had absolutely, I say we, the, the company had pretty much every football going, you know, uh, yeah. Liga, EFL, Champions League, Premier League. And what they then learned was that they would still retain the customers if they only had Premier League because yeah. that was what people wanted. Therefore, and, and, and La F1, Liga... F1 as well apparently is a big, a yeah. big driver of subscriptions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can imagine, and and probably the cricket. Although I know that's sort of that's 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 um, you know very much sort of being challenged at the moment. But that's where Sky is just so clever is that they they know what they need um, and they go after it and and. Mm. I suppose when you've got the rights that the other thing I think that they did, which was brilliant, was that conversion from one, two, three, four to the main event action arena, etc. That main event channel was extraordinary in the power mm. of of that it, that it managed to sort of bring in the viewers. And I remember watching and getting very excited by when we first got GAA, and I, I didn't know a lot about <laughs> it. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's ninety thousand people at Croker, and I, I had no clue what it was. I was watching or the rules, but that was where I realized that, that you know, the, the Sky Sports main arena was was very clever, is that it was a big event and people watch events over probably, you know, the, their their game of choice if it's played in an empty stadium. And I think that's definitely yeah. one re reason the area rugby struggled. You know, it brings it really home at the moment. It's just a thought of 90,000 people in a stadium sort of just feels like a faraway uh, land at the moment. It's uh, through, it really through, through like, you know, the Never Neverland or something. It's strange to, to just kind of reconsider that from a year out. And I know it's happening in the um, Southern Hemisphere. They're actually getting crowds, of course, in, in Australia and New Zealand, which is, which is great to see. But yeah, I think it's a, really, it's a really interesting topic, that of subscription. And 
my dad was a huge rugby fan and I played rugby at school. We went to a state school, but they were rugby mad the PE teachers actually who were in charge. So we had to play rugby to play football. I think a lot of my friends were, were sort of more football mad. And my dad was actually a Manchester United fan as well as a big rugby fan, even though he'd grown up around Cardiff and had gone to Cardiff Arms Park a lot in the, the 60s and, and 70s before he went off to boarding school. Great days. Yeah. Cathedral. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but they're all doctors and really human people that he knew, the sort of people who were playing those days. It was, um, it was interesting. But yeah, it, it, that must be... Because he'll watch anything. He watches football, rugby now. He's still working as a GP, actually. He's working three days a week, but he, he records games. He'll watch a rugby game in the evening and watch it again in the morning. And he'll watch a football game that he's recorded later on as well. He's just <laughs> obsessed with it. But Really? But yeah, I just wonder whether you feel... Is that disheartening at all that, that, that Sky doesn't value rugby as a broadcast as a subscriber driver why is that what what has happened over the past 24 years since the game went pro not to <laughs> not to not to elicit not to elicit that interest because i guess we all had hopes in the 90s that it that it would challenge that's always the thing in the uk isn't it for people listening from abroad that it's football's number one but who's going to be number two and it's it's still to be confirmed i think yeah i mean you you say what what's happened in the last 25 years or whatever is not a lot is the answer um I mean, I always remember there were, there were far greater brains than I in the corner offices at Sky who explained the scenario um, that, that rugby is a fairly small cake. And mm. there are so many, there are so many sort of deal brokers who are trying to get a bigger slice of their cake and cutting into other competitions. So I remember it being described as the fact that in order to get all of the cricket that mattered in the Northern Hemisphere, Sky had one conversation with the ECB. It got them... I think 11 tournaments or whatever it was, it got them all the cricket that they wanted. It was one check, one conversation, job wow. done. In order to get all the conversation, in order to get all the competitions in the Northern Hemisphere for rugby, it required 14 different conversations with 14 different governing bodies, all of whom were trying to get an increase in the in the uh, you know the rights um, value, etc. Mm. And I think Sky just lost interest. I mean, I know that there were there were battles long before you and I were out of our sort of uh, our broadcasting <laughs> nappy, so to speak, with, with, with I mean, Vic Wakeling, who was, you know, the doyen yeah. of Sky when I started. And Vic, who was, I mean, he was very, very, he was firm, but very fair. And he was, he was brilliant to me, particularly as, you know, a, a kid who looked 14 and, and pimply. I, I'm <laughs> amazed that I, I sort of passed his test, so to speak. But you know, he he was really challenging around the fact that rugby wanted three games a weekend on Sky and wanted the money accordingly. And his his response was, the, the product is not good enough for three games a weekend. And that's pre that's Premiership, you. is it? Or is that anything? That was Premiership, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I believe he said, I'll do your deal for two games a weekend. That is what your product needs. Let's grow it one stage at a time and we'll come back to the conversation around three. Anyway, it broke down from that point. The Prem, Prem Rugby wanted three games a weekend they managed to get that across ESPN who had two and Sky who said okay we'll take one and, and from that point Sky's relationship with club rugby was sort of damaged to a point that neither party ever managed to, to rebuild it mm. um, and so it just sort of drifted away from there and that included European rugby um, but, it, but it came down fundamentally to the fact that Sky weren't seeing a return on a product where every single facet of the game fights with each other, which it does. Um, you know, you've got club owners fighting with national coaches, fighting with governing bodies, with world rugby, you know, and I find that really, really, really depressing. Um, 
you know, I, and it's interesting, your dad is such a, a passionate fan. I mean, I will be really honest with you and without wanting to sort of have my Gerald Ratner moment, I, I don't watch any sport at all, full stop now. I get very excited about the Six Nations. Yeah. I'd watch Autumn Internationals, but the club game, I just... I but you, you're, a Bar, you're a Bath fan, aren't you? Is that right? Well, I, yeah, I, I grew up, I, I was mad, mad keen on Bath back in the day. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's, I will say that's because I grew up 20 minutes away and I was very lucky. I went to, you know, used to go and watch Barnsley playing, um, you know, Stuart, Stuart Barnsley, Gus Scott, Stuart Barnsley, who, uh, Gus, yeah, John Hall, some absolute legends of the game, Andy Robinson. Mm. Um, and I was, I was very, very keen on it. And then you kind of come into the game and, you know, I, I'm, very very lucky I, I can't think how many live games i've covered but it has to be around it has to be around ten thousand, i would think maybe that's <laughs> mad i don't know certainly wow. ten thousand live hours I would have yeah and, and do, do, it, three, do it three a week yeah or, yeah what you could work out yeah thousands. probably was yeah. three a week you know yeah. and in fact some weeks it was eight nine ten a weekend um you know on those big european games so it has to be around that and i think after a while you sort of you need you need the big days to get your fix kind of thing and um you know, I, I'm sure I will fall back in love with it, but at the moment I just find it deeply frustrating. I just sort of bored of the fighting and the bickering and the lack of progress, and I think the product is suffering. I, so I really don't mean to be a doom monger. No, 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 it. it's fine. It's, it's interesting. That, it's interesting you talk about the Six Nations and, and Autumn Internationals because that's where pretty much everyone I know is transfixed yeah. transfixed by rugby. And it, I've covered a lot of boxing, and it, there's parallels. And obviously, it's a very different sport, an individual versus a team sport. But with the the, the debate in boxing, it's some sort of derogatory term, but people have the, the word casual and the, the word hardcore. And it almost feels like yeah. both sports have a relatively small hardcore fan base, but they can, you know, take on vast swathes of the, of the population. They can pique their interest at certain key moments, the Six Nations being that for rugby. Yeah. And it's interna right. I mean, international Guinness versus club, maybe, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think um, Guinness, who sponsored the Six Nations, call them fans and flirts. And fans are people who come in week, eight, week in, week out. And flirts are those who, who dip in. And I, I sort of quite like that as an analogy. But, but that also is the thing that fundamentally frustrates me so much, is that, you know, the, the power is in the hands of the clubs who, who damage the international game. And I, damage is perhaps too strong, but they certainly are not in cahoots. There isn't an understanding, I don't think, that you know, success at the top level filters down to the clubs. Um, mm. And I get it from the club's perspective. You know, they pay the wages of the players week in, week out. And that's, you know, that, that is a huge undertaking and they're under extraordinary financial pressure. But just nothing marries up. And the thing that upsets me most of all, and the thing I value most in rugby is the British and Irish Lions. It's, you know, I, I spent a student loan getting out to Australia in 2001 to, to follow the tour. Fantastic. And to, to make tea and coffee for Sky, which is amazing. But you know, that is the most valuable crown jewel, in my opinion, and it's getting chipped away at and, you know, buffeted and, you know, every tour that, that comes around for the Lions, everyone says, oh, well, this is the last one, it's commercially not viable, and yet 35,000 fans will travel or would have travelled to South wow. Africa. There were 20,000 down in New Zealand. I mean, there aren't <laughs> many things in sport which mobilise... No supporters in that way and yet rugby is in danger of damaging the thing that that gets people into the game and you know you go on a Lions tour as a young kid or as a student or and you get your fix of it and then you go back and you buy your ticket to Bath because you know you, you're, you're sold and you've, you've you've followed in the footsteps of legends so to speak but the game just can't seem to it's that classic it knows 
what is it the price of everything and the value of nothing and mm. i find it very very frustrating at the moment I, I, yeah, that's, you... that's part of the reason our podcast i suppose spends so little time actually talking about the game how many games didn't you watch this week it's quite uh yeah, what, yeah, has, exactly. Haskell and Tyndall are that as well. Do they watch rugby or are they sort of... Tins is, a, is a, a rugby noise, as we label him. Um, you know, he loves the game and he actually is a should be coaching. He is a very, very good, you know, rugby brain yeah. and he loves it. He knows it. Um, he's got a lot to give the sport, but obviously he's got... He's got one or two sort of minor commitments, I suppose, <laughs> of being a member of the royal family. That means, you know, week to week, perhaps it isn't, isn't for him, but... I think he he would be a real um, attribute for for the game. He does a bit it, Minchin Hampton actually. Um, oh yeah, so I had a root I had a root canal in I had a root canal in Minchin Hampton. It was uh, yeah. Did you? Time. Yes. Oh, right. Which is not the result of yeah. coaching has a tendency. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Um, it was, uh, gone... Sorry, go on. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say it was uh, yeah quite a harrowing moment actually. It's put me off dentist for a while. It was uh, yeah I got referred down there yeah. from a, a dentist in Cheltenham for a specialist root canal. He was very good, but he was sort of resurrecting a bad dentist job. So it was uh, yeah quite a painful experience. But t- t- I was going to say Tyndall must be. I up spent there. nine I spent nine months last year, funnily enough, without a front tooth. I had it taken out, having knocked it out surfing, ironically. Um, so oh, wow. I had an open front door for from March until December. Um, I have now thankfully had one put back in, but it sort of summed up last year, actually, walking around with <laughs> a bit of wrist, <laughs> around. Yeah, the, the lockdown's anyway, been hard a, on you, yeah. yeah. No, it's super, yeah, t- I'm, I'm just thinking, Tyndall's up the, is up the pecking order, actually, isn't it, in terms of royal family with Harry and Meghan leaving, I guess, that's, uh, he's, he's ascending. I think so, I mean, he's he's pretty, he, he's, he remains pretty um, northern in his outlook on life. His feet are pretty firmly fixed to the ground. I don't think he does, he spends too much time kind of. <laughs> Um, worrying about that sort no. of thing, funnily enough. But um, but the other one, Hask, is is totally. I mean, it's just sort of you know he was he was a phenomenal player and he was phenomenally committed, mm. but he's not that interested in in the actual sport anymore. I think he's fitness you know, he's, and he's health things in his life. Yeah, he's very into the fitness. He's a he's a passionate DJ. He's constantly writing books. Um, you know, he's a man about town. Um, but I don't. I mean, funny enough, I think actually. And, and the three of us have spoken, and actually with a lot of people who come on the show, about you know the difficulty of transitioning away from not just the game that you love, but also the structure that it provides. And I think he, mm. you know, he would openly admit he is going through that process at the moment. He's been out of the game for two and a half years. And I think you know, he's gone and done some quite fun things. He was off to do M- MMA for a while. He went and did the jungle. Yeah, is that, st- um, is that still happening in Bellator or not? Or has he, has he left that? Well, I think he'd love it to, but it's pretty hard to... You know, yeah. it's pretty hard to stay fit and motivated and make any progress. And, you know, every year that kind of that you add yeah. to him is he's a year further on. And, mm. you know, I, I think he was ready to go and, and he 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 would never say it. But I, I genuinely think he was he was making some quite good progress. And I think, you know, he, he paints himself in a as a loud and bombastic character and everyone therefore is wanting him to, to fall. But I think quietly he was beginning to do quite a lot of damage <laughs> in the sparring ring. And, you know, when you're wow. 18 stone and built like a brick shithouse, um, so wait, you, you know what I mean? You, you can, yeah. you, you can probably do a bit of, bit of damage. Um, but anyway, I, I, I don't know whether he comes back to it or not. It, it's been a year since he's done it properly. And that's, that's another year on the tally, isn't it? So, and you still, uh, but he's contact, definitely not yeah. one I think, yeah. to be coaching. 
No, no, maybe not. But interesting to see because I've been covering a little bit Bellator for Sky as part of a pivot since the, the lockdown began. An old friend in digital. In, in, in speaking to what we we're saying, they're actually a lot more relaxed in the sense that we just were getting fighters on from the states and doing a Zoom call with them. And, and actually, there was a, a sort of a refreshing aspect to that because, like I say, I think the, the difference with the, the stuff you're doing now and, and when you're working in traditional TV setup, as you said, there's layers above you of decision makers. And sometimes, if you pitch an idea, by the time it rebounds back to you, and even if you get a green light, you've lost enthusiasm in a way because it's uh, you, you've moved on, which is interesting. The different the different worlds we live in, but that concept of identity you, you talked about in the podcast, the good, the bad, and the rugby, is that something? Because I get that a little bit now, is that people always attach you to the, the company Sky Sports, don't they? That's a, a challenge, I suppose. Yeah. And and with, with if you wanted to be a, again covering games, you're then trying to reinvent yourself because you're you're thought of as a, a Sky presenter if you go and work for. BT or whoever may have the rights because that's increasingly sort of fluid at the moment in terms of, of all sports really with with Amazon on the scene now in football and, and BT and Sky and who, who knows who else will come into the picture. Yeah I mean it's, it's really interesting I mean I've, I've got sort of several views on it I think um, you know in many ways working for Sky and listen I, I absolutely loved it and it, I I have so many sort of contrasting emotions, but overall, I'm I'm unbelievably proud to have worked for Sky, and I'm unbelievably proud to have, you know, been able to to reach the position that I I really coveted when I was nine, ten, eleven, which was to be a sports broadcaster. Mm. Um, I do think working for the company is a very powerful kind of label, and what I mean by that, it's it's almost a little bit like being an old Etonian, and you know, <laughs> Boris Johnson and and Michael Gove will always be referred to as old Etonian Boris Johnson. Um, you know, in a way that other people who go to public schools don't necessarily get that. And and the example I would give you with Sky is that Richard Keyes, who um, I don't know if I was a production runner for for Richard Keyes back in the days of Champions League. Wow. Um, when Sky had, you know, he he's been. He, I don't even know how many years ago he left Sky, but let's About say ten, I think. Twelve, yeah. ten, yeah, I think ten it's years, 20, ten years ago. Yeah. But whenever he crops up in the media, he is still former Sky Sports presenter Richard Keyes. He is not Bein presenter Richard no. Keyes. Now, Bein is of course overseas, etc. But Sky is almost that sort of label that. It says it says everything you need to know um, just because it is who you've worked for and. You know, there was a period, I suppose, when, you know, under Murdoch, Sky was the big bad wolf and people, what is it? I mean, I, I don't think people are fond of Sky in the way they're fond of the Beeb. And no. there are a whole host of reasons for that. But there is genuine affection, I think, or certainly there was. I don't know whether it still is, burns as brightly as it was. But there is genuine affection for the BBC in a way that I don't think there has been nor would there would be genuine affection for sky i think you know sky are brilliant at what they do and the quality will never ever be in doubt but if sky lost the premier league there'd be a lot of people who'd you know who'd, who'd have a lot to say about that yeah um and i think that's sad in some ways but it just sort of i suppose is the world in which we live but it could, it could be redu it could be reductive as you say as a broadcaster though can't it if yeah. you're attached to it because people perceive you they sort of like say in a way believe they can summarize you from a from a distance yeah. i suppose and not expect you to be able to do other things which is interesting because you're trying to do that yeah I, yeah I, th I think you're absolutely right and i think um you know i think it's i think it's really i think sky are outstanding at what they do and there are some phenomenally talented people who do and have worked for the company um and 
you know, it's one of those things that people who, who would celebrate its downfall and six months later would be desperately missing the quality <laughs> of the product. The nostal- it's nostalgia, that, nostalgia were kicking, yeah, a bit like we are with the absolutely. terrestrial yeah. TV and I can, I can remember when we had all the rugby in 2006, 7, 8, there were people constantly chirping and complaining about the fact that Sky had all the rugby and how it was totally unfair. And now I think you can go to 14 different broadcasters, or maybe it's 11, I can't remember, to find your rugby. And everyone is moaning about the fact that you're constantly trying to find the the game you want to watch. And, you know, you've got one, two, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, all show rugby and live rugby. Um, You know, there's Sky, you've got the Lions, there's BT, there's Premier Sport, there's Eurosport, there's... Well, rugby TV. I mean, just you just go everywhere and anywhere. Yeah, it's hard, to hard, to, hard to find, isn't it? And it's also expensive potentially yeah. for subscription for subscribers. Yeah, and I think I think that's you know th- that is the way that broadcasting will always be. Everyone's got an opinion, and everyone will will celebrate it or, or moan about it in equal measure. The other thing that I think, from a personal perspective, about the about having worked for Sky, and you know, I'm, I'm a pretty average sports broadcaster but i'm uh, well i, th- I think I'm you're gr- i think you're a very good sports broadcaster you probably don't want to say that but i think that's you're very kind and i'm 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 grateful for your for your support <laughs> you know, we go way back so that would be where it lies but you know i i'm lucky enough to have hosted some fairly sizable gigs and i suppose in in the simplest form not cocked it up mm. um but i haven't and I haven't had a single call approach um, offer of work in two and a half years since I left Sky um, wow. from another broadcaster. Now, I'm more than happy to accept that I'm definitely not everybody's cup of tea. And I'm more than happy to accept that there are some far better qualified people out there. Um, but that sort of is, for me, aged, you know, I left at 38, 39, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, you kind of hope you've got a second chance somewhere. And perhaps I haven't done a very good job at getting out there. And perhaps I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there are a million different Well, so, sometimes the role of presenter is a strange one, isn't it? Because it's a, it's a sort of, once you're in there, you get experience that's very rare to for people to get because there's not that many gigs. Maybe, as you say, it's increasing now because in lots of ways, there's there's more opportunity with with attention fractured with multiple media platforms. There's There's more opportunity to be a presenter per se, but there's not many people with that big game experience that you have. But sometimes it's almost seen as a, a sort of not a minor part of it but maybe not as important as it is it, it perhaps is to to do that job I, yeah I, I i don't know i mean i think um i i think there's a what i've probably taught myself is is you can spend a lot of time overthinking it and actually that's not really hugely can can you know conducive to making any progress um it just sort of is what it is and i get yeah. the fact that probably you know i'm 40 i'm you know i'm lucky Still look good. Still look young. Well, no, no, I, no. I was actually going the other way. I mean, All what right. I was going to say is that yeah. my face probably doesn't really fit, and I probably am not. Um, you know, I, I, I possibly had my time, as it were. But you're, um, but, you're also, but you're also, I think you're also thought of through your time at Sky Sports News and, and, and the rugby for 15 years as a Sky Sports face, aren't you? So I suppose that is a, an issue potentially. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's right. And I think what, what I was trying to get to is that I, I. Funny enough, I, I was really comfortable with the fact that I'd had, I'd kind of done everything I wanted to do. I wasn't loving it as much as I had done. Um, I had got this business that we were sort of starting about 
um, you know, my, my, my day job now, which is, is running my own tech company. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of fairly at peace with, with moving on. And, and, you know, we all, we all move on, you know, players retire, um, everybody, you know, and particularly at the moment, there'll be people who have loved the jobs that they were doing and through absolutely no fault of their own, the circumstances change and they're not able to carry on. So, you know, this, there's absolutely, there are no violins attached to this, but I just had kind of, moved on with it I suppose and then what was really interesting about that is that having moved on um and sort of was very comfortable with it it's extraordinary how it then finds you again mm. um it found me in the form of, of the podcast that we did as the house of rugby um through joe um, yeah that was, that was our sort of home for the first two years and then we we left joe we started again on our own is it the same production company behind it then? Is that right? Or the same no, no, completely no. different. Completely okay. different. Yeah. So, so Joe were producing it in house, and there were. I mean, that was that was a pod, that is a podcast ed for another time. There are one or two quite <laughs> interesting sort of anecdotes that come out of that, which we can't go into at the moment. But yeah, um, we have you know we've started again under a brand new label, brand new production company, and what's really interesting about that is that I I now am you know very comfortable you know I. I suppose I was saying that, that no one came and said, do you want to come and work for us? And so I've now ended up doing my own thing. And mm. I genuinely have never been happier doing it because you're your own boss and you get to control the content and, you know, it lives and dies on my shoulders. And I'm very sort of comfortable with that. Um, yeah. And so that, that really is the outcome of all of this is it, that for years, my career was in the hands of, of people who were very, very good to me and backed me. Um, mm. That changes. And either you sit and wait and it doesn't happen or you find a way to kind of do your own thing and now more than ever you know everybody has got the opportunity to do their own thing and mm. I think what's really heartwarming for me is that you know I, I love the game in the macro sense I'm not as into the detail as I certainly used to be or had to be um, but my love for the game is coming back through the characters that we talk to um, and that's something that we've built uh, an environment where the players want to come on and it's an environment that the fans are really sort of, you know, rugby supporters are really, in the main, enjoying. Some hate it, but that's the same with <laughs> yeah, them. I don't, I don't know. Just, so it's, just, it's a, there's a happy outcome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Just as simple, for someone who's not worked in the media, is, is liberating. When I look at your, your figures, and you mentioned the viewers, but your actual length of your podcast varies from an hour, an hour and a half to two and a half hours. And, and I think someone that I've caught up with a lot, a lot over the past couple of years and been really impressed by is that is the joe rogan experience he has some wild and wacky yeah. guests upon there but just the concept that he says i like talking to people i'll talk for three hours talk about kind of what i want and try and be balanced and not trying to be um polarizing but but flesh out some controversial ideas whatever people may have to say and just sort of i guess elaborate let people sort of hang themselves a bit if they're saying something particularly contentious but he that format it disproves a lot because i'm came to Sky working for a digital company called In The Box Media that was bought by Sky. We were providing video for Team Talk and uh, football365.com, various websites, actually Planet Rugby for a period as well. We did some little sports programs for, for them. And yeah. we, came, we, we came to Sky and there was always this sense that, oh, you had to do a video that was five minutes because no one watched longer than five minutes on the internet. And you had to do this. And it was, yeah. there are all these rules and regulations that people seem to conjure up, even though the internet was completely new. It was like, well, but we, why not? Why, people might want to watch a program on YouTube for three hours if they're interested, or they might watch an hour and then w listen to another hour later in the car and the, on, the, on their radio in the car via their you know, connection, connected device, Bluetooth or whatever. And you think that's great that it's just people can just do things now. And then, and then the public decides. And I suppose you're, 
being yourself, which must feel good because it's great to get that numbers because you're being yourself, but also it doesn't almost matter as much, does it? Because you're getting to, to fully express yourself and enjoy yourself. Yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right. It's not really until now that I've sort of thought about it, but um, I think one of the things and one of the reasons that we seem to get some quite big guests and you know, we've got quite a quite a good queue going around the block for people who want to come on is that we right. allow context and in this day and age context is mm. it's a sort of afterthought for so many scenarios but the other thing that i find absolutely fascinating is that from a personal point of view you know like the first thing i ever worked on was the rugby club which for those who know it and those who enjoyed it back in the day was the rugby show and it was yeah. barnsey and dowie morris and you know, it was really detailed in the way that it was pulled together. It was well-researched. It was, you know, it was a full Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday prep for a one and a, one, one and a half hour show on a Thursday night. Mm. And it used to bring in really good traffic for Sky. I think, you know, I'm maybe making this up, but it was, you know, probably 100,000 people watched it over the three viewings that went out. And it's it good. was the place you came in order to watch the previous weekend's highlights. There was no other way of getting hold of them. Mm. And then, of course, along comes social media. And instead of waiting till Thursday to watch your highlights, they're up online within 30 seconds of tries and penalties being yeah. scored, whatever it is. Yeah. And so the, the, the rugby club fell away as a, as a sort of voice of the game. People weren't interested in waiting four or five days. And I remember going through, I mean, by, by the time I was presenting the rugby club, you know, our viewing figures, and possibly that sat on my shoulders, I don't know, but, you know, our viewing <laughs> figures have plummeted to about 10, 15,000 because people could get all that they wanted out of the, out of the weekend's footage, mm. you know, within 24 hours of, of, of the games themselves because of the online presence. So what, it, what it, I remember really clearly, Sky just stripped out all of their, what was called support programming. It was all yeah. the magazine shows. Ring, ringside was, was one of them for boxing. Wasn't ringside, it? Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And some really good content was created. But, and I suppose that's where Sky went from being challenger. And when I started, you know, it was if you had an idea, they would find the money, they'd find the camera coup, go and get it done, make waves, create amazing content, go have fun and, and tell yeah. stories. And then inevitably you go from challenger to establishment and suddenly the bean counters come in and they're like, well, we're going <laughs> back for that. Is that actually generating? It's the, it's, it's the attention economy, like you say, and, and what changes is what yeah. people will go to. And it's, it's fascinating that your numbers are so big and that's great to have 200,000 people watching, whereas you say maybe 10 to 15,000, that program that would have been in a, a fancy studio, good cameras, good editing, yeah. quali high quality. Yeah. But that's but what we've come to realise is that good quality conversation, authentic is the, the sort of corny catchphrase, isn't it? But it's probably true that... People like to, to to have personalities and rapport and and free free winding conversations, the likes of which you couldn't have on Sky with James Haskell about snowmen and how he what, what he wants to uh, sort of adaptations he wants to make to them and things like that. Listening to your, your latest episode, um, but it's yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating that concept. I remember Tim Lovejoy talking about that actually in a recent podcast. Yeah, he has his own podcast, reflecting on leaving Soccer AM for that reason. That part of the the whole appeal of Soccer M was that they bring highlights and tricks and flicks from the past week to people's attention. And yet that was already being done throughout the week on, on social media. I mean, I'm surprised the rugby club couldn't reinvent itself as just what effectively something similar to what you're doing now with, with Stuart and Dowie or whoever. Well, and maybe on, on, online, do you mean on, on YouTube or whatever it may be, but, yeah. but you have but, to have you that, know, you have to have that freedom in that medium that maybe you don't have in a, in a sort of established establishment, outlet do you that's a difficulty you can't have the free weight ranging conversations or, or that's been this the conceived consensus is you can't have them yeah absolutely I, I i don't i don't know the answer to that really i think 
I think so much of the success of programmes now comes down to tone of voice. And I think the challenge for Sky and, and BT, and BT do a brilliant job. I think their tone of voice is really, really good. Mm. Um, but it's very, it's very difficult because, you, you know, often you can feel as a viewer that people aren't saying what they really think because their position is compromised because of the role that they have and the platform that they have. Yeah. I don't know whether that's valid or not. And, and pundits, pundits can be perceived as interchangeable. They're kind of like a, a renter pundit, can't they? Because there's a standard a stock, a stock answer and, sometimes, which is why Gary Neville, you mentioned Monday Night Football, Gary Neville stands at, you know, abreast of that, that industry in football, I believe, because you're never quite sure what he's going to say and he always comes with something new. But he will also say exactly what he does think and he will be able to back it up through mm. research and analysis. And again, funny enough, one of the things that, you know, I found really interesting is is in the early days of working at Sky, you know, it was Barnes and Morris and they were, well, certainly Stuart was deemed the authority. Dowie had a had a softer role, I suppose, as, as man in pub and yeah. you know, was so popular with the fans. But from, from the amateur days, the, yeah, as well. Absolutely. But, but Barnsley was the one people tuned in to listen to because he said exactly what he thought. And now <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, I see you know, David Flatman on match day, and I'm not quite sure whether he's working for BT, for ITV, for BBC, you know, for <laughs> Amazon, you know, and, and it, he's brilliant at what he does, but he he goes where the rugby is, and that's because it's split across all the channels. Um, mm. Ugo Monja is, is exactly the same, but what that means is that the, the sort of the authority, I mean, of course, they are authorities, but it's not that they stand alone in that role anymore in the way that Stuart did, and he was highly paid as Sky's lead analyst and was considered, therefore, when Sky had all the rugby, the voice of rugby. Um, and I just think that that sort of, that one man, also that, that, that consistent squad of, of pundits and analysts is, is no longer a thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether you, as, as more of a travelling band, it's harder to be... Or to say exactly what it is that you think. It's also hard for know, the pundits to earn the craft, as you, to, to learn the craft, isn't it? I think we have that sometimes on Sky Sports News, or we have guys and had a conversation with someone the other day actually just saying, well, you know, we, we do one punditry job and then we'll do one again six weeks later and we'll go to talk sport and do something different. And actually, what, what do you want for us in this role? There's not often that time to, to coach and, yeah. and then to learn their craft because it's not just being an ex player, it doesn't necessarily. Um, endow you with the the skills to describe action and be effectively what we like on Sky Sports News is effectively a radio reporter because you're updating a game that even though you're on TV people are watching and they can't see so it's that you know the sort of the soccer Saturday being the the best known exponent of, of that particular skill that the guys on there so it's interesting that that role as well it, without a regular platform like Stuart had it's harder to, to develop that maybe it's partly innate genetic but I think there is a learned aspect to it yeah I think also, I think also possibly the blowback now is is harder in terms of, you know, we've seen some really ugly fallouts, you know, for some of the female football pundits who, who mm. offer an opinion and it's backed up and it's, I don't know. Do, 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 we, do we listen to, do we listen to that online? So it's difficult, isn't it? I know it's easy for me to say that I don't get a lot of, I've got a massive following, I don't get a lot of uh, clog online, but you wonder 
whether we just because it's interesting because we had an MMA analyst who's esteemed and has done it for 25 years he also covers boxing in this country but he's had a slip he couldn't remember the name of a guy called Justin Gaethje who fought Khabib in the big lightweight fight a few few months ago Khabib was the guy that beat Conor McGregor and um, were retired as a champion but he had a momentary lapse because he'd been up all night watching different fights and he was doing a chat with us and then there's people saying oh he forgot Justin Gaethje's name he must be a terrible pundit really disrespectful but the guy who's producing it said to me oh you know do you think we should use him for a while now because this one comment or these two guys like well no we know he's a good guy we know his his record stands you know for him and it it just struck me as that was an old school mentality if someone was ringing into sky complaining but it's a different thing isn't it because negative feedback so easy to, to to produce now yeah and do you know, funny enough, that is one of the things, well, the t- t- two things to that from a personal point of view. One is that I'm so glad, and I don't often feel glad for being old, but when I came through the ranks, particularly on Sky Sports News, and I had one or two chronic, chronic meltdowns on air, <laughs> uh, doing the rugby as well, that social media just wasn't, uh, it certainly wasn't as vibrant a place as it is now, and it probably wasn't as toxic either. But Jesus, if I... If, if I mean, some of the car crashes I had on late night Sky Sports News with David Bowman, <laughs> you quite a lot with Ian Payne as well back in the day. Well, was, what, the recorded, recorded hour, we tried to record it. Was that the recorded hour? I used to cock up the recorded hour all the time. Yeah, no, we're going to have to do that part again. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a horrible yeah, feeling, yeah. It just, it just it's, yeah, you, you had the whole, the whole gallery sort of groaning in the background. But, um, you know, I was lucky, I suppose, to come through at a point where you weren't able to get direct feedback from everybody in the game. Um, Mm. And I suppose the second thing to that is that one of the things I love about working with particularly Hask is that, you know, he really just doesn't give a shit. And as a result of that, you kind of have to go with him. Yeah. Um, And fundamentally you realize off the back of that, that absolutely. People respect and people respect you, I think for that courageousness, don't they? Like that authenticity we're talking about a little bit, just, you just sort of put it all out there. I'm not sure whether they respect you or whether they think that they're not going to get the reaction they're looking for. And that's probably yeah. why, you know, Piers Morgan and, you know, I think, I think the more you stick your jaw out now and the more defiant you are and the more sort of robust in your, in your hide, I suppose, the more people buy into it, the less you get, I suppose. It's when you flicker and you offer a, a point of weakness that people will jump on it um mm. and certainly I'm, I'm i'm sort of old enough and ugly enough now and have been bruised enough times that um you know fundamentally so long as my wife is still here at the end of the day and my my kids still <laughs> love me that's really the only thing that matters the rest of it is just a hobby that if you like it great and if you don't don't worry too much about it go and find something else to do yeah and i think your youtube comments are fantastic but by and large i think anyone that posts a negative comment is 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 probably upset or unhappy about something in their own life and just looking to to lash out and actually you know you shouldn't necessarily cancel a program or or, or sack someone based upon that i think it's um i think the, the great platform you have is your your youtube channel i think you just you, in some ways have more security in that sense because it's just par for the the course in in that in that particular realm but what is the tech business before we uh, wrap up Al? because i know you want to have a, a little bit of an evening what is the business is there anything that people can check out or yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, you should have a look at it. It's, it's called the Room, and um, it's a kind of. We talk about it as a mutually beneficial exchange platform, which is quite a long wind of winded way of saying that essentially it's good people, and good brands forming good collaborations. So mm. the idea, you know, for, for the the two p and the slot machine is that I and I don't know whether you still get this now, but back in the day, I was sort of given a few bits and bobs by brands who were. 
either looking for me to wear some stuff on Sky or wanted me to tweet about stuff or whatever it sure. was. Like, I have absolutely no interest in being a celebrity or an influencer. <laughs> I'm very middle lane to middle age. But one such box I was given, it had 500 quid's worth of Star Wars merchandise in it and a lovely note that said, <laughs> I hope you love all of this. If you do, we'd love you to tweet about the fact we're showing Star Wars back to back on our movie channel all weekend. So it's your classic wow. promo box very clear what they wanted which was me to tweet about the fact that everyone should watch star wars at the weekend and yet they had sent it to someone who had absolutely no interest in star wars no i've never really watched star wars it's funny isn't it it's just just a little bit before my time but yeah yeah exactly and i i i didn't know what the hell i was talking about i sent a tweet for them but i really wasn't very engaged with it Mm. and as a result of not knowing and not being interested the tweet gets four likes i think something (laughs) like that yeah yeah content that's a relatively good engaged <laughs> I was going to say, but, it's not bad by my standards. Yeah, but, you know, I found myself thinking, why the hell have they given this to me? And my audience obviously had absolutely no interest in me talking about Star Wars. They don't really have much interest when I talk about rugby, no. but at least that's why they know they're there. Um, and as a result of me not being interested in my audience, not really diving in, Star Wars shrug their shoulders and walk off into the distance going, well, an absolute waste of everybody's time. And I'm certainly not going to disagree with them. <laughs> but we have built the site, essentially, whereby instead of brands throwing product at idiots like me or paying people a huge amount of money to Mm. spread their brand message they come to the room and they say look hi we are star wars we'd love to hear from any star wars fans we've got really cool boxes of merchandise we think you'll love yeah and if you do love it we'd love you to mention the fact as you talk about it authentically that we're showing star wars all weekend and your fans can watch it if they want to well, that's so, cool. Because pe- people know, don't they? That's the thing. People know when, when it's genuine, when people has, someone has an interest in something. It can be mutually beneficial if you, if you like something and someone gives it to you for free, it works. But if it's something that obscure that you've never used or don't know anything about, it just doesn't resonate. And, that, and that's the thing. is It's all about you know, mutual benefits. So you know, they find the people that love them, need them, and want them, and will talk about them. And likewise, on the other side of the fence, you know, if you're doing something interesting, if you're looking... For example, for you, if you're looking for a podcast sponsor or, mm. you know, people are off to the North Pole on a charity challenge and they want to find an outdoor gear brand or if they're looking for some tickets to a Premier League football match or whatever it is, because they're a massive fan of the club, then, you know, Tag Hoyer can give them some tickets and say, great, have a wonderful day, look after yourself. And, you know, if you want to give us a nod, we'd love that, dot, dot, dot. So it's mm. all about really good people and really good brands collaborating over things that people genuinely want to do as opposed to this fairly toxic world of can we pay you x yeah etc which i don't think anyone's that interested in anymore so we're all about advocacy and authenticity and it's good fun actually we're, we're growing quite quickly at the moment i think good. what we do is more relevant than ever um so did you join is, is it like a subscription that you join to like a membership or how does it so work? yeah brands brands subscribe and for that they can they can use us as they see fit so we've got some we've got some big old brands on there samsung o2 wow um, hello fresh um, tag hoyer etc um, and then really interesting people and we like people who tell really cool stories and you know who are out and about and we're offline as well as online so we have you know tv presenters who wear products on red carpets and we have mm. who talk about holidays on radio and we have journalists who will review products in the evening stand or whatever it is as opposed to just influencers who pose in a beige coat on a just, the people sort of people subscribe first both, both personalities and brands and then you put the two together is that how it works or is there like a no kind no of... it's, it's even simpler than that so the brands pay to join the yeah. people of influence and in inverted commas apply to join and, and we sort of accept the best of the bunch yeah um and then it's just a digital notice board so the brand will post what we call an opportunity and they're like hi we are o2 
Um, we really want you to find gigs that you want to go to, find your local academy, pick the gig you want and let us sort you some tickets. What we're looking for is that if you have an amazing time, you talk about what mm. a great evening you've been at the O2 Academy, hashtag follow the rabbit or whatever it is. So how did you start that then? Did you, because it start getting it off the ground before you had the momentum, was that difficult? Because you had to be quite exclusive with, with who you let in, I suppose, when you didn't really have a, a, big, a big entity at the start. Do you know, funny enough, the, the reason... And I was talking about earlier, I mentioned this digital publishing business I had, um, which I, I sort of came together with these developers in Northampton. Um, and they used to have, well, I'm going way back now, but they used to have a, <laughs> an online rugby magazine, um, which had a whole load of sort of digital uh, sort of interactivity to it, which was, it was really good fun. Um, and I wrote for it as a columnist and then they weren't having much trouble selling uh, much luck selling advertising so I started selling advertising for them and basically <laughs> ended up making the tea and cleaning the alloys but um, we we you know we went on a bit of a journey with it we actually ended up doing a really sort of amazing weekly easing for sky called the sky sports zine and it had the soccerette in it and it had yeah it was really, it was great fun back in the day and then we it was a, an amazing lesson actually all our clients we had some really good clients honda and um, some yachting companies and Sky and uh, Guinness were, were a client and they all came back and said this so this is how long ago it was they all came back and said all oh, these these smartphone phone things are quite <laughs> interesting we, we really want an app and we were like no don't do apps just stick with digital magazines that's where the future is and they were like great and they went off and did apps yeah and we lost 75 percent of our business in a quarter oh man um, anyway the, the, the cutting to the chase I kept close with the guys who were the developers and when I had this idea and I got the Star Wars box I kind of wrote a business plan and did a bit of research and I said to them I think there's something in this and they're like yeah no that is quite interesting we'll, we'll build it for you we'll, we'll divvy up the company um, you sell it you tell us what you want us to build you onboard the brands and the, the interesting people yeah um, we'll build it and then we'll go on a journey from there so I mean so you're, not, you're, you're not physically putting anyone together then you don't see a a business come in and then say oh this this influence would be good it happens organically no no we're, we're not an agency we're literally a SaaS tech platform so the, the brand logs in they create their opportunity they post it live and then that goes live to i think we've got about four and a half five thousand people of influence now you know ranging from mm. actors actresses models musicians tastemakers chefs explorers um you know and lots of social media um sort of influences as you expect but, but then <laughs> we're more interested in the storytellers than the the hashtag yeah. Um, boohoo well, that's, we're trying to get so but you know what I mean um, yeah and, and and so and then it's up up to the the person of influence to log in they log in through the app they can see what brands are doing and they literally just send a message to the ones they love and say look you know I love Mars Bar I'd love to be involved hook me up or I'd love to come to the Maldives here's what I can offer and then, and then it's up to that company to then have the discretion to decide who they who they choose they, to they then give. choose who they want based on how passionate the people are to be involved based on the social media footprint and, and analytics that we provide them based on what else they offer. So some might say, look, I'll, I'll, I'd love to come to your event and what I will give you is an amazing mood video that you can use on your socials or your website. Or some might say, I'd love to come and I'll do as much social media as I possibly can, plus I'll write it up in Condé Nast Traveller. And mm. the brand is able to select, therefore, from people who, you know, on their own terms, so they, they come up with a brief, um, they, will, they will find the people who will deliver a really authentic storytelling through their own channels but you know they, they don't have to pay necessarily people to do it they're just unlocking people who love it and want to do it because they want to do it and so, 
what does your role have to take place at the moment then quickly? I know, I know time's pressing. But... Um, so I, I founded the business um, and I sort of got it to the point where we were, we were generating some quite good revenue. I suppose I, I have a business partner called Tanya, um, who is a far better brain than I will ever be. She's much more strategic. Mm. Um, we tend to divvy our role in that I do today and she does tomorrow. So she's planning where the business is going and I'm making sure that we are on track. We've got, I think we've got about 24, we actually hired two people today. So I think we're up to 26 in the business. Awesome. Um, you know, we've got a very good CFO who's come in from Match.com. We've got a, a CTO who's come in from eBay and just some real superstars. And, and um, you know, I like to think we're, we're quite a fun company to work for. We've got some very, very good people joining us. Um, and we're, we're sort of at that point where we've done the bobbing around and we've, we've done the learnings and the stress testings. We raised some money last year. Um, never easy to raise money in a global no, no, yeah, it's especially impressive. Um, we're off and running. So it's, yeah, it's good fun. It's, it's very rewarding. And, and the most enjoyable thing is that I learn something new every day. And, um, you know, presenting to three, four, five million people on the Lions tour is nothing like as stressful <laughs> trying to work out how you pay the wages at the end of the month. So, um, you know, it's, it's good bet. fun. I'm really enjoying it. Good. It's brilliant to hear. Yeah, I think real life is far more stressful than, than TV. My wife doesn't believe me because she's introverted, but just trying right. to do anything DIY around the house fills me with this sort of uh, panic yeah. dread, which I think is equivalent to her having to do a speech. So I think we try and empathise with her over that go. one. But it's, Enjoy um, it while you can, Ed. Those happy hours of lavender on the temples and makeup on the, um, on yeah. the cheek. They, they don't last forever but enjoy them we're applying our own makeup at the moment so yeah it's but oh, it's, it's nice to know yeah because of the pandemic it's but it's nice to know that someone has uh, successfully negotiated that that transition from from presenter into into normal life being an architect behind the scenes rather than the, the front person as you say getting pulled by the the puppeteers but behind the scenes so it's, it's great that you've you've done that and it's really good to catch up with you i really appreciate your time it's very kind of you to to give it to me and um yeah, well, send me a picture as well, Al, so I can promote it on my uh, my modest social media footprint. <laughs> I will do just that. And likewise, I'm happy to think. It's been really nice to catch up with you too. And I'm glad things are going going as well as they are for you. And um, who knows, perhaps there is a touchline somewhere in the not too distant future with our name on it where we can enjoy an ale. But um, that'd be lovely. In there in the meantime, and, and all your listeners. Good man. Thank you, Alex Payne. So there we have it, Alex Payne, really candid, really honest about that sort of identity stuff. I really find that fascinating. Um, a bit like a sports person, actually, when you're a sports broadcaster, once you get pegged with a, a particular broadcaster, perhaps once you leave, and ultimately there's not that many jobs in our line of work, you do perhaps um, carry that with you. I think he's, you know, to, he's very modest, very humble, very self-deprecating there, but he is a fine broadcaster in a way a non-dramatic broadcaster in the best sense that you don't notice him all the time because he's so smooth he's so relaxed he's good at asking questions i sometimes butt in there as you can see it's a, something that he's very good at is just waiting for things to play out the rhythm the cadence of a interaction and always been an admirer of him for, for that and he's a fine broadcaster and i love the, the podcast with james haskell and mike tyndall much more ribald than he was able to do on sky sports no doubt and any other orthodox traditional broadcasters but that's the the sort of different platforms, the different feels of the different platforms now as we as we head into the deep into the 21st century, I suppose, two decades in. Um, but if you like that, please follow him on social media, Alex Payne on Twitter, and check out The Room if you're interested in that as well, either as a brand looking to find people of influence. He doesn't use the word influence. I like people of influence. It's a bit more uh, official sounding, isn't it? A bit more highbrow. But he uh, 
it's worth checking it out or if you are a person of influence who wants to potentially connect with brands and i think it's true that the little things that i've ever done and i'm not again i don't have a big following on social media but if you have something that is relevant to you that you believe in it's a lot easier to post or to recommend something like it would be on a podcast like site plan for example and, and bang off and Cheltenham, the people i know around the corner at the local B&O store, Jason and his team, it's a lot easier to do that when you believe in the quality of it, you believe in the people. So I think that's a really good idea for him to connect, whereas the sort of throwaway reference, I get messages on Instagram and stuff, and maybe you get them saying, oh, can you we'll send you some trainers or something if you do this? Or I said, what is it? What's the product? And you want to know a bit more. And supplement companies have approached me as well. And I'm like, well, I like Cytoplan. We've used it for 20 years. That's why I recommend Cytoplan on the podcast. And so it's uh, an interesting one and good luck to Alex really appreciate his time over an hour fantastic stuff on a weekday evening when no doubt his nine and 11 year old were bounding around the home full of energy from the homeschooling uh, waiting to to release it somewhere but they're very quiet actually very well behaved as was uh, my little girl well thank you for listening to the podcast thank you to the sponsors Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations get in touch with jason briggs and his team and if you are looking to optimize your immunity or just supplement some part of your diet and lifestyle whatever stage of life you're at do head to cytoplan.co.uk or wherever you'd like to go to supplement but if you'd like a 30 percent discount from cytoplan check out their range of products c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk you can get 30 percent off your initial purchase 10 percent thereafter with the code draper 10 R D R A P E R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero, and then the capital letter R. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate it, guys. And I'll speak to you again soon. I do hope you're well. Reach out if you'd like. Ed Draper 81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram, and any reviews on iTunes, etc., whatever platform, the myriad of platforms that you're listening to uh, the podcast, any reviews, really appreciate it. Anything constructive as well, uh, criticism taken on board you know i get that little flash of ego and insecurity but i will consider it and will will act upon it if it's if it's correct in in my mind but thank you and uh, i'll speak to you soon bye for now